Father, you are good. Your plan is amazing, and we want to get in on it. We don't want to try to make you follow our plan. <laughs> We're, we blow it every time. So we seek you. Teach us from your word. What are the basics of Christianity? How are we to understand these things so that we might uh, serve you better? So we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll turn to Hebrews chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 1 through 3, page 653 in the Bibles we give away. If you don't have a Bible, just raise your hand and someone will bring you one. It's our gift to you. We're going through the book of Hebrews verse by verse. And we've kind of been camped out at these verses, though I have been gone for two weeks. So before that, if you remember, anybody remember that? Okay. We've been looking at these because it talks about the basics of Christianity. So I thought, let's spend a little bit of time on these six basics of Christianity. I want you to imagine, you've noticed I have a chessboard here. Maybe you haven't noticed, but there's a chessboard here. Actually, a chessboard from China, the little Chinese guys here, pretty cool dudes. But I want you to imagine playing chess without knowing how each piece moves. It would be hard, wouldn't it? Okay, because it's not checkers, it's chess. Uh, For most things, you need to know the basics. With chess, you have to know the basics well, and you also need to learn some strategy if you want to do well. You have to mature in your abilities to play this game well. That's true with a lot of things. Video games. How many of you like to play video games? Okay. How many of you won't admit that but really do like to play video? Okay. There we go. All right. There we go. Um, with video games, same thing. You've got to learn the basics, but you also want to learn some strategy Go deeper, really learn it, like League of Legends, you know, or Call of Duty or whatever game you play, all right? This is especially true of biblical Christianity. Let's look at our passage, Hebrews 6, 1 through 3. Therefore, let us leave the elementary teaching about Christ and go on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works, faith in God, teaching about ritual washings, laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, and eternal judgment. And we will do this if God permits. Now remember the context of this passage just before this. In chapter 5, verses 11 to to 14, the author chastises this church for being lazy. He says, you're too lazy, you're stuck on the basic principles, you want the milk, but you don't want to move on to the solid food. Well, he continues that chastisement here, and he says, we're, here, here's the foundations of Christianity, but we're going to move on. So that's what we're going to do. We're, first, we want to look at these foundational truths Make sure we thoroughly understand them, and then we're going to move on to maturity. We're going to read the rest of Hebrews and see the incredible things it teaches about Jesus and how we can go into depth in our understanding of God and his plan. But we want to know the basics. We need to know these basics. And this next one, we've already covered repentance. We already covered faith. 
And now we're at this third one, teaching about ritual washings. Now you're thinking to yourself, how is ritual washings a basic of Christianity? Well, the Greek word is baptismos. Okay, it's referring to baptism, as we'll see as we look into this in more detail in just a moment. So we're going to look at baptism and how, what it means and how important it is. When we were in Israel, we had a baptism. We actually had a baptism in the Jordan River, same river that Jesus was baptized in, that Jesus and John the Baptist uh, baptized people. And so we had 13 people in our group get baptized. It was an incredible experience. I want to show you a video of one of those, okay? So we have the baptism and then the testimony afterwards. So I want you to watch this uh, and see. of your sins, you do not want to live that way anymore. Do you place your faith in Christ and Him alone for your salvation? Do you surrender to Him as your Lord? We baptize you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Talking about how all the things that he did in the earthly life didn't satisfy. All the things that I've tried to do in my earthly life to make me happy um, that never fulfilled me, and uh, you know, and uh, that the only thing that could fulfill me is God mm -hmm. uh, and having God in my life. And I don't know how many times for all the, those of you that that's known me for years, you know me, and. Uh, <clears throat> You know, and I've always tried to replace God with other things that's on my own needs and uh, to try to make me happy. And, and no matter what I did, it never made me, you know, uh, until now. Um, so, you know, I have surrendered to God. I ask for my wife's forgiveness through all this. And, and I appreciate her for hanging around and sticking with me. <laughs> yeah. She's a good woman. Yeah. 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 So she's definitely my angel. Yeah. Um, but there was a song, you know, that I just, I want us all to sing that. And why this song, I don't know, but it, it definitely has some sort of meaning to me. But um, I'll start it off, if you don't mind. But <clears throat> we fall down. We lay our crowns at the feet of Jesus, the greatness of His 
For many of us, the baptism was the highlight of the trip, and uh, it was just as you saw. So that, so we want to look at this. First of all, what is baptism? And as I said, the Greek word in this passage is baptismos, okay? Uh, I know you wanted me to read out of the NIV Theological Dictionary of New Testament words, so I thought I would. It says, baptismos, dipping, immersion, represents Jewish ritual cleansing by immersion of vessels in Mark 7, 4. In Hebrews 9, 10, it refers to the purification of persons. Presumably, this reflects the Jewish usage of the term. Among Greek-speaking Jews, this word was probably used for proselyte baptism. In Hebrews 6, 2, instruction about baptisms, that's our verse, it's plural, denotes instructions about the contrast between Christian baptism and other religious washings. So what we see with this word is that it is, refers in one sense to the water rite for purpose of purification under the Old Testament uh, rules, but also a water rite for purpose of renewing or establishing a relationship with God. We see this in the New Testament time. At the time of Jesus, the Jews were practicing what's called proselyte baptism. If somebody who was not Jewish wanted to become Jewish, they went through this baptism, a submersion in water. But then John the Baptist comes along, and he actually starts baptizing Jewish people. This was an affront to the religious leadership of the day, but he was saying, you all need to repent and be prepared for the coming of Messiah. And then Jesus steps on the scene, and he also uh, begins, his disciples begin to baptize people. And we see this in the New Testament as the... uh, the initial expression of our faith in Christ. So we see this now, back in our passage, he's listing it as a foundation of Christianity, these six things. And so we need to see it that way as well. It's not something that's unimportant. It's one of the six things that he mentions as foundational to Christianity. Back in chapter 5, verse 12, he referred to this list as the basic principles of God's revelation. So we see the importance here. I want you to turn to Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, one place in which this is used uh, in reference to baptism and in its central aspect of Christianity. Uh, Colossians 2, verse 12, Paul says, When you were buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. Notice he's just assuming that all believers are baptized as an expression of their faith. When you were buried with him in baptism, you were also raised in newness of life, just as Christ was raised from the dead. Many see baptism as a non-essential, but the Bible doesn't seem to teach it like that. Uh, Here we see in our passage it's listed as foundational. Baptism is actually spoken of over a hundred times in the New Testament. So it seems to be very important. So what is baptism? 
okay? And the first thing I want to say about this is that baptism is not magical, okay? There's nothing magical in the waters. In the Middle Ages, there was a Latin phrase that they used, and still some use it to this day, ex opera operato. And what they basically mean by that is that the baptism, if done in the proper way in the church, the baptism itself has powers, that it's magical, so to speak, and actually converts people even if they don't believe. So even apart from faith, it converts people, even babies, it converts them, is, is their belief that there's something magical in the waters. I want to show you a passage of Scripture, though, that I think uh, helps us back off from that extreme to under, in understanding baptism. Look at Acts chapter 10, verses 44 through 48. Here we see an example when the first Gentiles get saved. Peter has his vision and he goes to Cornelius and, and his group and he preaches the gospel to them. And here we see the response in verse 44. It says, while Peter was still speaking these words, so as he's still sharing the gospel, the Holy Spirit came down on all those who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in other tongues and declaring the greatness of God. Then Peter responded, Can anyone withhold water and prevent these people from being baptized who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? He commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to stay for a few days. So notice what takes place here. He preaches the gospel. While he's preaching, they apparently not only believe, but are filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? Clearly saved before they got baptized. So the baptism didn't save them, did it? It was their faith in Christ, their belief in the message. That, by the grace of God, is what brought about not only salvation, but a filling of the Holy Spirit. But notice then Peter's response, whoa, we got to baptize these people, right? He didn't say, hey, let's wait a few years and make sure they're mature enough to get baptized. He said, we got to baptize. In fact, he commands them to be baptized. But I think God put this passage here to help us to make sure we didn't make that mistake of ex opera operato, to make the mistake of saying the baptism itself is magical and that's what saves you. No, he wants us to be sure, Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, that it is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ, that we are saved. And so, uh, so he brings that out. Now, another example of this would be the thief on the cross, Right? Jesus said to him when he believed, he said, today you will be with me in paradise. The thief on the cross didn't get baptized, but yet because of his faith in Christ, he was promised that he would be saved and he would be with him. Now, I bet you if they would have let him, he'd have got down off the cross and got baptized, you know, and then got back up on the cross afterwards and said, Okay, you know, but you see the point here, okay? The baptism. I want to read a story that helps us kind of picture this, okay? There was a man uh, who was stumbling through the woods, totally drunk. 
And when he comes upon a preacher baptizing people in the river, he proceeds to walk into the water and subsequently bumps into the preacher. The preacher turns around and is almost overcome by the smell of alcohol, whereupon he asks the drunk, are you ready to find Jesus? The drunk answered, yes, I am. So the preacher grabs him and dunks him in the water. He pulls him up and asks the drunk, brother, have you found Jesus? And the drunk replies, no, I haven't found Jesus. The preacher, shocked at the answer, dunks him into the water again for a little longer. He again pulls him up out of the water and asks again, have you found Jesus, my brother? The drunk again answers, no, I haven't found Jesus. By this time, the preacher is at his wit's end and dunks the drunk in the water again, but this time holds him down for about 30 seconds. And when he begins kicking his arms and legs, he pulls him up. The preacher again asks the drunk, for the love of God, have you found Jesus? The drunk wipes his eyes, catches his breath, and says to the preacher, are you sure this is where he fell in? Now, notice two things about this story. It really does have a point. Okay. The drunk didn't know what he was doing, did he? Okay, so that's not a proper baptism. It's the Bible teaches believers' baptism. When you are ready and you know that you want to repent of your sins and place your faith in Christ, you get baptized. The drunk didn't know what he was doing. So that, that's the, the wrong, one wrong aspect about this story. But also the preacher. The preacher thought the baptism could save him, didn't he? And that's wrong. Uh, baptismal regeneration is not correct, as we see from our passage in Acts 10. 44 through 48. But even in our passage in Acts 10, though baptism is not magical, baptism is not optional. It's not just a, oh, if you want to, go ahead, okay? He commands them, be baptized. I want you to turn to 1 Peter 3, 21. Another passage that I think brings this idea out about the, the baptism is not optional in that sense. So one side says it saves you. That's too far. The other side says it's just optional. Do it if you want to. That doesn't seem to be correct either. Look at 1 Peter 3, verse 21. In the context here, he's just finished talking to them about Noah and how God preserved Noah through water uh, and his family, it says they were saved through water, preserved, uh, rescued. Uh, then verse 21, baptism, which corresponds to this, to that saving, now saves you, not as the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, if this was the only verse we had on baptism, it almost sounds like it's saying the baptism saves you which I just said wasn't true, right? Okay, so how are we to understand this? Well, once again, fortunately, we have Acts chapter 10 to let us know, no, clearly the baptism isn't what saves you, but how are we to understand this then? He really is connecting salvation and baptism very closely, but he does explain what he's talking about. He actually goes on. He says, not as the removal of dirt 
from the body. In other words, not the physical act of baptism. That's not what saves you, but what it represents, the pledge of a good conscience towards God. Eperotema is the Greek word there. It means request, appeal, or pledge, where you're saying, I'm surrendering to Jesus. So that heart of repentance and faith, surrendering to Jesus, that's the heart of the person when they're getting baptized. So it's the heart of repentance and faith that saves us, but that's what baptism represents, and that's why they're tied so closely together here as we see. So baptism is not optional. Uh, Baptism is the initial outward expression of faith and repentance that we see in the New Testament, okay? Uh, Turn to Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38, and I think we'll see this. In Acts 2, the day of Pentecost takes place, and God pours out his Holy Spirit upon the believers who were gathered there, and and then that spills out into the city, and people ask what's going on. Peter then preaches this sermon, and in preaching this sermon, preaching the gospel, it has an effect on the people who were listening, and here we see their response. Look at what it says in Acts 2, 37. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So these people cut to the heart or pierced to the heart, apparently truly believing what he's saying, Ask him, what do we do? He says, repent and be baptized and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is the natural flow. By the way, that's why Peter remembers this. In Acts chapter 10, it was out of order, wasn't it? They, they, uh, they believed and repented but, and then were filled with the Spirit and hadn't been baptized. And he's thinking, wait a minute. Believe, faith, faith. We got to baptize him. Okay, do you see that? But here we see... It's putting all this together. Baptism is supposed to be the initial outward expression of faith and repentance. We see this in the life of Paul. In Acts chapter 22, verse 16, Paul is uh, relaying his encounter with Jesus and when he first got saved. And he's describing this how after the vision and Jesus spoke to him and he was blinded, Ananias came and shared the gospel with him. Well, right here in verse 16, Ananias is actually speaking and sharing the gospel. He's relaying this account, and it says this, verse 16. Speaking to, uh, speaking to Paul, he says, And now why are you delaying? Get up and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. See how he puts it all together? This, so Paul got saved at his baptism. He was ready, he believed, and he got up and he was baptized, washing away your sins, calling on his name. Now that phrase, calling on his name, that reminds us of Romans 10, 13, that says, for whoever calls upon his name shall be saved, right? So 
It's that act of faith calling upon his name that saves us. But when did he call upon his name? It was at his baptism. So that's what we see here. By the grace of God, our faith in Christ is what saves us, but the initial outward expression of that faith is supposed to be baptism. Now, it has to be a heart, a true heart of repentance. Psalm 145, 18 speaks of calling upon his name, but from a heart of repentance. So what we see here is, and I believe that baptism is the ceremony of the new covenant. When you look at covenants in the Bible, you see that many of them had ceremonies that went along with them. When Abraham, Abraham's covenant, God had this ceremony. He says, take the animals, cut them in half, put them along the side. And so, uh, you know, that's what Abraham did. And then Abraham fell asleep, and then God passed through. And that was kind of the ceremony of the covenant with Abraham, wasn't it? Well, in other uh, covenants, like the covenant of marriage. Anybody ever been to a wedding Okay, I'm going to one pretty soon here, okay? So I should speed up my message so I can make sure I get it there. But they have to wait for me. They can't start without me, okay? So at any rate, all right. So when you have a wedding, that's the ceremony of the covenant that you're making, okay? The wedding doesn't actually technically marry you. It's your vows that you profess before the witnesses and before God. That's the covenant that you're making, okay? But it happens at your wedding, okay, right? Okay, so, uh, well, imagine somebody, two six-month-olds having a wedding ceremony so that for when they get married 20 years later, That'd be kind of silly, wouldn't it? Exactly. The ceremony happens when the covenant happens. It's supposed to. Imagine having, uh, getting married and then having the ceremony five years later. Okay? Normally, they're supposed to happen at the same time. Same with baptism. When you're ready, when you believe, then you make that covenant with God and outwardly express it in baptism. So, that brings up the second question. Why baptism? Kind of seems like a weird thing. Dunking people in the water. Why baptism? Well, first of all, Christianity is an earthy religion. You look at Acts chapter 8, uh, 36 through 39. That's one account of a baptism. That's when uh, Peter, uh, no, Philip, uh, shares the gospel with the Ethiopian, and he says, what would keep me from being baptized? And so then they go down, and they, it, says, it literally says, and they go down into the water, and they come up out of the water because it's a Duncan. That's what happens, okay, when you get baptized in every instance of the New Testament. So you have this, this earthy, you know, God made us flesh and bone. He, his book does not promote ethereal, non-physical experience. It tells it like it is. In Genesis 1, 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He made the physical realm. And then in verse 31, he says, when he looks at it all, he says, it is very good. Tov meod. It is very good. God made it this way. He wants us to enjoy 
the physical realm, according to 1 Timothy 6.17. He wants us to subdue the physical realm, according to Genesis 1.28. He wants us to see his glory in the physical realm, according to Psalm 19.1-4. He gives us earthy, physical expressions of our faith, like baptism and the Lord's Supper and anointing with oil for healing, it says in James 5.14. And worship, when you see worship, he describes how God likes to be worshiped. He wants people to clap their hands. He wants people to raise their hands, kneel before the Lord, shout unto the Lord, that kind of stuff. It's physical as well as spiritual, not cerebral worship alone. And so we see this. Gnosticism is a second century heresy that downplays the importance of the physical realm. In the Old Testament, they had the festivals, and they had three festivals where they were required to go to Jerusalem and party. Okay? Three one week vacations every year. But it was combined with worship. It wasn't this and that. It was together celebration. It wasn't just a, you know, a, a ho-hum religious drudgery. They enjoyed it because they saw that God had made us physical, and that's a good thing. God unites the physical realm and the spiritual realm in humanity. So getting dunked in water with all the physical sensations of water and spiritual sensations of being filled with the Spirit, that's God's design when it comes to baptism. So that's one reason why baptism. Secondly, Christianity emphasizes a corporate identity, okay, Uh, where we're supposed to see each other as a people of God. Look at Galatians chapter 3, 27. I guess I don't have the page up there. Sorry about that. Galatians 3, 27. We see another reference here to baptism. And he says, For those of you who were baptized into Christ have been clothed with Christ. You know, he just connects it with our relationship. There is no Jew or Greek, slave or free, male or female, since you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you belong to Christ, then you're Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. And so as we're baptized, we're made one with each other. We're united into the body of Christ. Christianity emphasizes a corporate identity. It's true of the Old Testament as well. The people of God, the people of Israel, they sank or swam together. They were blessed or judged together. They were seen as the people of God, not just a bunch of individuals. So as well in the New Testament, the church is called the body of Christ. We're all in this together. We affect each other, and God designed it to be that way. Individualistic Christianity, me and Jesus Christianity is a distortion of biblical Christianity. In baptism, we publicly profess our surrender to Christ. Our spiritual family celebrates this event with us, reminding each of us of our own baptism and initial surrender to Jesus. Uh, Rocky baptized his wife, Colleen, 
in Israel when we were there. And, and we all got to celebrate with them that wonderful experience. Uh, so, and that's what it's meant. It's a corporate identity. We're supposed to see ourselves, and baptism brings that out as well. That's why baptism. And then finally, baptism signifies best the born-again experience. John 3.3, 3, Jesus said, unless you are born again, you cannot even see the kingdom of God. In other words, if you, to be saved, you become born again. We talk about born-again believers, born-again Christians. There's no other kind, according to Jesus. All true believers are born-again believers. And baptism signifies that best. Look at Romans 6, verses 3 and 4. In Romans 6, Paul's talking here and mentioning baptism again. He says, Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in newness of life. Notice how he's connecting baptism with what Christ did for us. We're connected to his death and resurrection at our baptism. When Jesus died on the cross, it's like when we're standing in the water forming a cross. And then he died and then he was buried. We're buried, it says, in baptism. It's a watery grave. And then rise again to newness of life, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Okay, that's what baptism represents. It signifies this. And it's not just sprinkling doesn't do that. That might bring out the washing part, but it doesn't bring out the burial part. So we're buried in baptism. We rise again to newness of life as believers. In all of this, we see, according to our passage in Hebrews, the baptism is foundational to Christianity. Now, God is gracious, and so I know believers make mistakes and so forth and that, and it truly is by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ. But we, we want to see this the way the Bible sees it, in baptism. So have you been baptized? And I, I mean as a believer, where you surrender and die to the old way of life, rise again to newness of life. Have you been baptized? July 29th. We're going to have a baptism at our church in the park. That's once a year where we get together at Wilson Park. We put both services together, and we have the service outside at the park, okay? We're going to do a baptism right there in the Mississippi River. We already have several people signed up, but I want to know if you want to, if you're feeling led by God, if you're convicted by his word, sign up on that blue card. We'll get everybody together and talk about what to, to expect. And you will be blessed. Trust me. Um, so I want to finish with giving out the baptismal certificates to those who got baptized in the Jordan River. Okay? Um, I have them right here. Uh, some of these were baptized as kind of a renewal of their faith. And others baptized for the first time as believers. Um, I'll read to you those who already received their certificate in the first service. Uh, Arnold and Fev Toms, 
myself. I got baptized because when I look at my, I know I got saved at 21. I think I might have got saved at 15. You ever had one of those? Okay. So I think at 15, but for sure at 21, okay. Um, 21 is when I really surrendered to the Lord. But I got baptized at 18, okay, because that's kind of in the, I think I was saved kind of a situation. I thought, you know what? I'm at the Jordan River. I'm going to get baptized. So that's a, so for sure I got baptized, you know, after becoming a believer. Okay. So anyway, so, I, so Arnold, Fev, me, uh, Ray and Martha Roth, uh, Colleen Woods, uh, and Bob Clackner uh, were those who got baptized, uh, who received their certificate in the first service. We have Amy Eikhoff, so when I call your name, come on up. Danielle Glenn and Teresa Ellis, uh, come on up. We, we also have Donna Evans, Kristen Gardner, and Greg Turway, but they're out of town, all right? So uh, let's see, there's mine. Let's see here, uh, Kristen, Donna, Greg are all out of town. Amy, Teresa, Danielle, congratulations. <laughs> Let's pray. Father, you are good. You created us physical. You want us to uh, rejoice in what you've done. In fact, Jesus, you took on a second nature, that of humanity, proving that the physical realm is not evil in and of itself. Uh, you came and you dwelt among us, and we're amazed by that. You were even baptized, and you call us to this beautiful experience, and I pray for all those here who perhaps haven't had this experience, that you draw them to yourself, that they'd be ready and say, yes, I want to surrender to Jesus in baptism. And uh, we pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and worship a great God.